if I buy food or eat food and it's like really good quality, it's like less processed, it's clean, I feel better, I perform better, and I'm more likely to lose body fat and be stronger and faster and all these things I want to do. And because for CrossFit Live, it's performance. You want to perform the best you can, right? And I'm telling you, man, that that single thing is why Wild Foods exists today. Welcome to another episode of the Living Wild Podcast. Today, we have both a special guest and a special host. This was a unique episode. Colin wanted to bring Joel Carpenter on the show and talk with him about who knows what. But when he got in the studio, Joel Carpenter said, forget that. I'm here to interview you. So we have a special guest host of the Living Wild podcast, technically the Ancestral Mind podcast, because that's where it was originally released. But He's interviewing Colin. We get really deep into Colin's mindset. We talk about the origins of wild foods. We talk about the origins of Colin's principles and everything in between. So you're going to want to definitely check out this episode of the Living Wild Podcast brought to you by the Ancestral Mind Podcast. And it starts right now. Welcome again to another episode of the Ancestral Mind Podcast. I'm Brent Philbin, and you know that Colin, of course, is your host, but let's put him yo, on. Yo. Uh, okay, we're going to put him on the back burner for a second because we have what was supposed to be a special guest here. We're here with, well, not what was supposed to be, the, you know what I mean. We, you've been it's on. Still special. <laughs> you've been on the, you've been on the tripod before, so if listeners have had it, then they'll have heard that. You talked about your story. Joel, introduce yourself to the listeners, and then I'll give them like the twist that we're going to throw on this after you tell us who you are. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Joel <laughs> Carpenter, I did the uh, storytelling episode with you guys kind of when you yes. first First episode of the it was, Tribe Yeah, it was first or second. The Tribe yeah, sure. Podcast. Tribe Not podcast. the Tripod. The Tribe Podcast. Yeah, I thought it was the coolest name ever. But it's confusing in audio. All right, like, hold when on. You we're see not it. talking to you yet. Hold okay. on. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I live here in Austin, Texas, uh, an entrepreneur, have a couple different endeavors, and married, three children. And just excited about being here on the show. So we weren't sure we were going to talk about because this is the ancestral mind. And we came in and we started talking about like what we were going to talk about ancestrally. And Joel was like, why don't I interview Colin? So that is actually what we're going to do today. Joel came to be a guest on our show to be out there, to be promoting, to be part of the sphere. And then decided to just give it all to Colin. And it's and not interview giving it at all because he's going to learn some stuff about me, and yeah, so will you, and yeah. so will our audience. And, right? and, it's a good and idea. wild food and wild foods, and and just I think right, you know, it's a good idea. It's like the other day it's when I saw you, you right? You know, and uh, and Colin's like, man, he's like, we need to do another podcast, mm-hmm. and you can help interview too. Yeah, yeah. I'm B- sure you have me, some I, questions. I, I tried. Um, so here's what's going to happen. Joel's going to ask some questions, and then I'm going to ask some questions. But what, what's going to happen is for the rest of the episode, I am going to assume the persona of Colin. So my questions will be very Colin oriented. So how are you going to ask? Oh, yeah. you, so you're going to ask me questions about my life from my perspective? Yeah. So what? Okay, he knows Col- you. He Colin, can't be, let's. You can't be, what's uh, really interesting about that you're is you said you myself. Basically? Your perspective. You said your perspective. Let's unpack that a little bit. What I want to oh, know is God. about your perspective in life. Now, here's my perspective in life, and I want to tell you everything about what I do. But I want you to unpack what you said. Also, let me ask you three separate questions before I give you this and go. <laughs> That's that's actually not a bad impersonation of <laughs> sometimes, but you're, you're you know don't worry, it's I, not as good as I've the got way it. I do it, right? I've got it. The goal here, though, I think, is to talk about the story a little bit because 
I don't talk about myself that much, to be honest. Well, yeah. well, can I lead in with something? Yes. Okay. Yes. So let's go back. Let's go back like a year or a year and a half, whenever okay. it was calling that I first met you. Mm-hmm. So when it's sitting in a coffee house working, I'm overhearing, uh, you know, an individual talking <laughs> super intensely. I'm already laughing because I know what and, you're talking about. And, <laughs> and uh, there's a group of people, all they look, you know, the group looks like they're in their like, you know, late twenties and, uh, and it's like, well, we're going to do this. We need to do this. And we got to do this and with this and this. And then, and I'm like, what could these young individuals possibly be talking about? That's so important. And, uh, and I went over and I got curse words in there. Yeah. It was very loud and aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, It was intense. It was intense. And I appreciate intense. So I'm like, okay, well, I just am interested to find out what they're talking about. When got a coffee, ended up meeting Colin's sister, Jamie. Jamie told me, oh yeah, you know, my brother, he's great. He should come over and meet, meet us. Uh, you know, he's the CEO of wild foods. And I'm like, wild food, what's, what's wild foods. So after learning just a little bit about the company and then meeting Colin and then seeing this, I'm like totally blown away, you know, because Colin is, I'm sure he doesn't think he's a young guy, but he's a young entrepreneur who's actually been very successful at, at wild foods. And so Tying that into today's podcast, I think it's crucial, especially for, you know, the, the direction of the podcast and also for your fans, mm-hmm. listeners, yep. uh, people that are, you know, involved in your program. I think that they need to know more about who Colin is, where did Wild Foods come from, all that stuff. So that's what I really want to get into. And it is, it's a perfect intersection of somebody who is an expert at telling a story and pulling that story out of Colin, I think. And because Colin likes to talk, but there's not always a direct linear progression of stories. So I think it's going to be interesting to to move him along on that one. So, so Colin, what are you thinking? So let's do it linear. Yeah, let's, let's yeah. Do if we do it linear, linear, then we should go back to Florida. Then let's, like, like I'm saying linear, like you don't have to go in deep to every single thing, but remember right. like when we pinpointed, we said, okay, let's pinpoint these like crucial moments in your life. Yeah. Going back to like your childhood, who is Colin? You know what I mean? Where did Colin come from? The man that Colin is today. Mm. How did he become the man he is today? Mm. Well, we'd have to oh, go, yeah! go back to school, I guess, because I never did good in school. Okay. And I, I actively hated it. Didn't get good grades. I didn't. Uh, I didn't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Didn't like sitting at desks. I didn't like waking up early. I was literally miserable all day. Usually, I was up late playing game, computer games, which then contributed to like being tired in class, sitting through that all day, getting home. It's just like a vicious cycle, you know. And I know a lot of kids today probably struggle with that as well. That was, you know, as far back as I don't know, probably in middle school is when it started. That's probably when I started. And then I went into a rebellious phase. You know, I think I had that the. Middle school record for referrals in a year or something. I had like eighty or something like that for, yeah. eighth, for for eighth grade. So I spent more time with the timeout lady probably than any of my actual teachers. What was um, the craziest thing you got one for? I didn't. I just talked back. Like I didn't. I didn't really get in fights or anything. I mean, I've been in a couple of fights as a kid, but like not in that setting. It was just I didn't want to sit there and just look at the screen or listen to what they were saying. I wanted to talk or do my own thing, right? And so that it was just incongruent for my personality. Also, I didn't do good. I wasn't engaged, right? So, like, I know that's a problem for a lot of kids today, not being engaged, you know? So, let me just jump into this a little bit because I think that, you know, traditional school and you see a lot of different kind of strategies on education these days. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of studies and, and there's many people that believe in it. If it makes sense, if you really think about it, because I also, by the way, I used to, like, stand up at my desk and I kind of pace when yep. I was in second grade and I just, it was... But if you think about the concept, like, of 
of school and kind of like the structure it was based on. It was like, you know, putting children you know, in a desk, in a room for, you know, seven to eight hours a day and asking them to focus on these things mm-hmm. you get an hour break or whatever it is for, for lunch and recess. But even for adults, if you ask them to do that today, that that's pretty torturous. Mm-hmm. And let's just say that it's like a, uh, you know, seminar that lasts maybe three days and you ask adults to do that. Like they come away from that feeling exhausted. Yep. So, so I, I can see what you're talking about in mm-hmm. that. So I get it. Okay. So I get, you're the kid that's restless at a young age. Are you a dreamer? Are you already having kind of like, like these grand visions of like, I want to do something, you know, great. I mean, obviously probably at that stage, you weren't saying like, oh, wild foods. I, I got no, it. I know. know. I, but I know exactly what I was thinking. Okay. So, so what were you thinking? What's interesting is this is before social media, iPhones, all these things, right? But somehow society had implanted in my brain the idea that if, when I was older, if I wasn't rich, I wouldn't be happy. So I remember thinking, what are the things that I can do that I think I might be good at based on what I like now so that when I'm older, I'll be rich. And the first one was professional baseball player because I was playing baseball, right? And the other one I even toyed around with like astronaut, but not like astronaut because I thought it was like amazing. I thought I would just make money, right? Some, <laughs> yeah. You're the only one to think that about astronaut Somehow. Ever. But I mean, you, you probably make good money and there's hazard pay and stuff, right? And so, but like- <laughs> I don't know if it's that much. I was like literally 14 or 13 when I started thinking like this. And I'm like, I have to make money to be happy. But that's what it was. It wasn't like a dreamer to change the world or anything like that the way kids grow up today where they want to like have an impact. It was literally like- I really just want to be happy and society through whatever mechanism is telling me that I have to have money. So I, so I need to get money. So U S culture is based around a lot of that, which drives a lot of us to say, okay, in order for me to be happy. And this is something Mm -hmm. that I've also learned is it's a lot of material and uh, and superficial kind of uh, driven items in our lives. And and so it's a rat race, Mm -hmm. but um, Brent, Brent, I mean, do you have any experience with that also or? Well, so like when I was a kid, you mean? I just mean like, can you relate with what Colin? I, I can certainly relate with what Colin was saying. I mean, I didn't want to be an astronaut when I was a kid, but I thought I was going to be a millionaire before I was thirty, mm-hmm. and you know, it didn't work out so well. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, wherever he's getting his uh, issues with with money, I'm sure I had the same. It's one. the same. We're the same. We're clo- mostly the same age. Yeah, demographic, right? So it's, we grew up with the same things in the same area. We should have gone to the same school basically. It was just that I went to a different school for a different program, but we were in the same exact city. Yeah. So so, so what time frame is this that we're talking about? Well, like what grade? I was middle school, probably okay, more school. so. So I'm like thir- between 13 and 15. 15 is when it probably started thinking about more, but I'm in high school at that point. This is in I mean, shit, I graduated in 2003. So this is like this is like late 90s, probably when those ideas first popped up and then early 2000s when you know, became more of a thing. And then what happened is, and this is what kids even today have more so because there's so much pressure from these other things. I started feeling like I was a failure because I didn't do good in school, right? Nobody back then, nobody said anything about being a business owner. You want to know when I, I think it was 19 or 20. And this is after I got out of college and someone's like, yeah, you could like own a business. And I was like, yeah. So these businesses you see everywhere, like people own them. And I thought it was like, either the government or some major corporation just owned all the businesses. Yeah, that's nobody nobody told you about small business, right? It wasn't a thing. Like now today, you'd be an entrepreneur. Like that's popular. It's cool tip. That did not exist. Guidance counselors didn't talk about it. People at school, college, I went to community college. They didn't talk about it. It was literally non-existent. And so like, I mean, it's awesome. Um, I don't think everybody should be an entrepreneur, but that's a topic for another day. But like this stuff just wasn't in the collective consciousness back then. Sure. And so for me, it was like, if I don't do good in school, I don't go to college, I don't get a job. I don't make money. I'm not happy. Yeah. So there's, that was literally what I thought. So 
in society, there's a very structured kind of Yep, there's path, a typical path. Mm-hmm. Typical path that everybody takes in order to arrive at the destination that- And what they say is the right destination or the best destination. The successful or, outcome right. or whatever you, you feel like your achievement is. Yep. Okay, so we have we have middle school, getting into high school. Are you noticing, are you starting to become a better student? Are you becoming worse? Are you applying to colleges? Like what's happening in high school? No, I'm worse. So worse, but then I got to that point where probably more so in senior year, maybe even sophomore and junior where they just realized that the teachers just kind of looked over me. Like they didn't try to scold me or in, nor did they try to like motivate me. I was kind of like in that middle area where I'm like kind of left untouched, right? Because I'm not necessarily like a lost cause, but maybe in their eyes I am because they're not, I don't know. It was weird. I, they just didn't really bother me. Right. And so if I didn't turn in homework, I, you know, I just scrape by with my like C grades, get a D here and there or whatever. Like I may have gotten an A a couple times in my life in school, right? And I might've been in something like an art or PE, right? But again, it's like, that was shameful, right? And I know even like my mom probably felt bad about it. She probably blamed herself, right? And that was the collective way you thought about these things. Even to this day, that's how people think about them, you know? So let's get into that a little bit more. So like the family, okay? You obviously, you have a sister. You guys grew up in Florida, Yeah, it was just my mom that basically raised us at that point. My dad was still around, but he was, you know, like a, he wasn't as involved in that stuff. Okay. How much of an effect do you think that that had on some of the other stuff that was going on? Uh, which part? My dad? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Not having like, you know, a father figure. You know, well, yeah. In, it's, in the home. It's interesting because he was a father figure, but he okay. wasn't, it wasn't like a daily presence of a figure. Um, so it's it's not one of those like, lack, like a father issue, I don't think at all. I think it was an incongruence of my biology and personality to the system itself. You know what I'm saying? Because what I remember is every, at the beginning of every school year, and I really believed it. I was like, I'm going to do good this year. Like, I, I'm going to do everything it takes to get A's. And I would actually, for the first month, get everything done. I'd do all my homework. I'd study and shit. And then it would just like, you know, once one sleepless day after one sleepless day where just like weighs on you and you do a little bit less, you do a little bit less. And then you just eventually fall back into your default of not really want to do homework, being tired all the time. And it was just like, that's what I defaulted to. Like that was my mean. I regressed to my mean, you know? And that was almost every year of high school. Okay. Every year I was like, I'm gonna do better. But to get to the point, one of those golden thread moments that, that I really recognize and remember was senior year of high school. So I remember my sister was taking skating lessons from because she was doing homeschooling and she was a figure skater. And her coach, Clive, was this older guy. He had been in the Olympics. Him and his wife, I think, competed. Um, really cool older guy, I think, from England. His wife had lent a novel to my mom by the author Wilbur Smith called River God. It's just a thick novel, right? One of those paperbacks that, like, but it's historical fiction. You know how you see romance novels? It's one of those, but it's it's got like a, a pharaoh on the front or something. And my mom gave it to me and she's like, you know, you should read this. I think you'd like this. And I never really read anything other than, you know, like accelerated reader in, high, in middle school where you had to like read books and get points and stuff. And I had read a couple books here and there and I liked it. Like I read Three Musketeers. I read Where the Red Fern Grows, I think is like a popular book in middle school. Yeah. And like, I liked it, but I didn't like have a passion. I wouldn't call myself like a reader or anything. So she gives me this book. And because it's senior year and you don't have to do anything, I'm like, I bring it to school. And so I start reading it. And at first I'm just like kind of reading pages, like trying to cover it with my arm type thing where you don't really want the teacher to know that you're not really paying attention. And then eventually, like I said, they just realize that as long as he's not disrupting class, it's fine. I I (laughs) I literally read that book in, in class, like 600 pages. And I would say that's probably one of those Genesis catalyst moments that probably changed my life. I was 
enamored. I, I think I read maybe six more of his books after that. He has probably 20 or 30 at this point. I've probably only a couple I haven't read from that same author. And it was like this massive tale. It's like Braveheart, but in Egypt kind of thing. Like it's great. Like it has everything. It's got sex. It's got violence. It's got loyalty, backstabbing, kings, pharaohs, warriors, right? And it was absolutely one of the best books I've ever read. It was captivating. It was just incredible. And it, it pivoted me to becoming a reader and to having a passion for reading. And so I probably read maybe six or seven more books that year. And all I did senior year was read like these huge novels, right? I love this because every other kid in school was hiding their like headphones for their Walkman uh, CD player and hiding that from the teacher. And Colin is hiding a book in his jacket that he probably could have gotten accelerated reader points for. They probably thought that was okay because it was a book. I wasn't like hiding something else. And this was before cell phones, of course, guys. Like, yeah, yeah. like it's a completely different generation. Um, Think about that from your perspective if you're the teacher and the kid that <laughs> keeps trying to pick fights with you finally starts reading a book and I shutting up. I think that's up. why like, they left, they left me alone. I think exactly. And, you know, at least I was doing something productive. Well, and, and you have to understand probably from a teacher's perspective to see someone go from whatever you were previously mm-hmm. to now you're just totally into this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a win. It's probably, yeah, for them, it probably yeah. was viewed as a win for sure. Even though I thought like for me, I'm not paying attention it's bad or whatever, but again, seniors, they get a lot of leeway because like everyone kind of understands you're not really doing much senior year, you know? So, so, okay. So let's jump into this. So that was, that was kind of like a high point, like yes. where you definitely, you said a pivotal moment. So what about any sort of low points any low points during any of that time frame, like the high school, anything that formed you today? That's that's. I got like in a car point. accident. Uh-huh. That um, I sprained my ankle for two weeks. I was on crutches. That was the first time I've ever really been like injured. Um, but they were all, you know, they were all minor things. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say anything was that crazy. I didn't yeah. really lose anyone that crazy during that time. It was actually after I graduated that my dad passed away. Um, my grandma, she might have passed away in senior year, or might have been like soon after. They were pretty close succession, but there weren't, no. Yeah. I, I didn't have any major traumas in middle or high school. It was actually more as I was an adult. So when when people lose people, you know, friends, family, that has an effect on everybody. Totally. So there's people that climb into a hole and there's mm-hmm. some other people that go through a natural grieving process mm-hmm. and then it it kind of sends them on, the, on a particular path, really motivates them. It can change, you know, trajectories. Mm-hmm. directions they thought that they were going to go how much of that and losing your father you know your grandmother changed your path or maybe sent you down a direction like you mm-hmm. know, made you ultra focused yeah it's it's one of those things that in like you know they say hindsight is twenty twenty because in retrospect it's very easy to create stories so i don't know the exact answer i do know that i've done some reading and actually so with that the way i got through that so this was after senior year because i was already into reading i got all these books on like the grieving process on, and there's a relationship issue I went through, but this is all like in the same time, like right after I got out of high school, like a big, bad breakup for long-term relationship, my dad, grandma. And I think for sure it contributed to my view on time and how life is short and fickle, which does, you know, it does provide a lot of motivation and it provides the idea that I don't want to waste my time. And like, I like to be focused and do things like that. Like it definitely, it definitely contributes to that. I don't know if it was this like, rocket fuel to just make me like be successful. I think there was a lot of other things in my personality and genetics and whatever that were already predisposed to do some of the things I've done in life. And I think that was just like a really like more nails in that coffin, if you will. But I have done some reading on it and they haven't really made the connection, but like there's some quotes from like Pascal, maybe I think Nietzsche maybe, but 
like there's this one quote I remember by some 17, 1800s philosopher who was saying like the best thing that a father could do for a son is die. It was something to that effect. And he was saying because of it just, I guess it makes you grow up and take responsibility and be a man. And like it just, from a success perspective, in a lot of instances, yes, it is a very powerful motivator. I don't know, I don't know why it is. I don't know what the mechanisms are, it might but be, there's some correlation there. A method, not the preferred method. Yeah, yeah I don't think well, like, Please like don't go around killing your parents. There's obviously no. different ways to be motivated, but I, I think I understand kind of what he's saying. There's, there's there's different involvement of, you know, fathers kind of take different levels of involvement with their children. Mm-hmm. And so I could almost see, at least in my interpretation, hearing that quote for the first time is, is an individual that potentially the father is not super involved. Mm-hmm. Like that would maybe have an effect, mm-hmm. you know, to change things. But Jumping ahead a little bit. So, okay, we, we covered junior high school, high high school, and now, you know, getting into college and stuff. Did you go to college? Yes, I went to community college. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mostly because I had no, no idea what else okay. to do. Did, did you graduate? No. Okay. Still, to this day, have you graduated? College? No. Okay. So, see, this is so interesting to me because Colin is the typical kind of like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg kind of story where it's like dropped out of college kind of, you know, nonconformist, going mm-hmm. your own way. Iconoclast is what I t- like to think of myself okay, as. Okay, yeah, yep. great. So mm-hmm. everything that would kind of what you said that would dictate, at least in people's mind, what success is, you're kind of breaking all those rules, right? And, yeah. And, and so even today, not to say that, you know, college can be a great thing. Mm-hmm. I also dropped out of college. I, kind of, I don't know if I mentioned that in mm-hmm. my story, but I also did. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have, you know, successful uh, company as wild foods today. So it's really interesting to me for people to kind of break the paradigm. And I want to hear more kind of about that time frame. Mm-hmm. Like what led you eventually to, to wild foods? What was that path from like college moving forward and Brent jump in to this at any time? I think that really one of the most important events that we're miss- missing here is that Colin and I became friends slightly before this happened. And, and I think that as a very positive male influence in his life that he th- has a lot to thank me for on this journey here. This is where Brent's talking shit <laughs> just for the audience. <laughs> so yeah, actually I didn't meet Brent until after that. Uh, but there was a big event in college that kind of coincided with not going back to college. That's like the next major milestone, but college was like anything else. It was like, I want to do something with my life. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to do it, whatever. And I would be motivated and I would get a little bit done for a period of time. And then I would regress to my mean, right? Schooling in that traditional way does not fit. What I learned though, what I uncovered from reading, and if that book wouldn't have been given to me, we wouldn't be here right now. Like I know that for a fact. I think I'd be doing something else, but it wouldn't be what I'm doing today, right? I've actually developed a passion for learning. And I, I, I can learn more than the average person because I can go deep into subjects and I read a lot of books. Like I, I read and I read and I read and I, and because I'm interested and then I retain information and then I use it and I can use it when I'm speaking, I can use quotes. Like I just have a passion for learning. But if you had seen me as a student in school, you'd think I don't give a shit about learning. Right. Right. It's just, it's a weird dichotomy there. Right. Almost a paradox. Did you find yourself just like, it's too slow for you? Because that's what I felt when I was talking about the school learning. No, it wasn't that it was the things they were trying to tell me. I didn't care about. It's interest-based learning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't also see the value in it. Right. Um, I see the value in a lot of things now, but it was more of an autonomy thing. I don't like being told what to do, period. My mom tried to like kind of 
like, in fact, she gave me a lot of leeway to her credit. And my dad, like I said, not being as involved, I had a lot of leeway. Like if I wanted to go and just basically stay out all night or whatever, I would do that. And I would just tell my mom. And I actually think it's the best way to raise kids because if kids are going to rebel, they're going to do it anyways. It doesn't matter what you do. In fact, you make it worse the more you try to control them. So by her kind of using a woo way, you know, not controlling by not doing anything, I became responsible and I didn't do drugs and I didn't drink and drive or do all these stupid things, right? Mm-hmm. Like I became someone that just didn't do that stuff. And I think though, if I would have been more restrained, because school was already restraining me and I was rebelling like crazy, like it could have gotten worse. You know, I think if my mom was in, was doing the same at home. Who knows? I could have been arrested. All kinds of bad shit could have happened, right? So I'm very fortunate for that in the way I was raised and having a lot of flexibility to really come into my own. And so what happened is after reading and discovering that I really got into learning is I got really towards the tail end of college. I got heavily into self-help. Like then I was like, I'm going to read every nonfiction book there is. I'm going to like Tony Robbins, Think and Grow Rich. Then I started like getting into, and this was like at the beginning stages of when self-help was becoming a big thing. And I mean, the internet still wasn't even really around that much at this point. Like, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, like, the internet. Yeah, 19 and 20, like it wasn't, it wasn't even there, you know, like, mm-hmm. and because I remember like using computers in the computer lab at college, but you didn't really like connect to that remotely or anything. You had to go into the lab to use a computer and like, that's all you did. I didn't have a laptop and I'm pretty sure a phone was a flip phone. Yeah. Yeah. The internet and AOL might've been around. Yeah, AOL, AOL probably was around or whatever. How you know? it's used today has completely it's, changed within the last yeah. 10 to 12 years. Yeah. It was not like that today. Right. Yeah. So it was more like physical books, you know, going to Barnes and Noble. Um, and then actually, so I found a job in high school or um, in college and so I move out. No, actually, I think I'd still move, live with my mom. Yeah, but I found a job. Um, I got heavily into fitness right after high school, which led to a lot of other things. But that kind of coincided with self-help a lot. You know, improve my body, improve my mind, nutrition. I got into nutrition a little bit. Um, did bodybuilding stuff for a little bit. And then I got a job at this hotel working a night shift through a friend. And I had been playing poker at the time. So I actually got that job through him. So we started playing poker. You know, Chris Moneymaker, the 2000, was it 2003? 2003. 2003. It was right when I graduated. Exactly. So he won the the main event. Poker was becoming a thing. I played with my friends in the neighborhood, got into it. We went to the Seminole Casino in Florida, which is like an hour drive away. And you could play like one, two limit and stuff. First time I went, I won $20, right? I won $20, but I'm like, I was like, I had goosebumps. I'm like, I just won money sitting at this table playing cards. It was so bizarre. It was just like a feeling of until you've done it and I've never been exposed to it. I didn't even know it existed, right? So it was like this, it was just opening my mind. So we started playing tournaments at home. We started playing a home game. We played like 6 a.m. in the morning. Um, we started Can I more set the serious. stage real quick for that Seminole Casino? It was an absolute shithole. Like it it's was nice now. Smoke, they yeah, they made it nice <laughs> now, but then it was this smoke-filled warehouse. Yeah, it was like a warehouse. With like a bunch of old dudes yep. sitting at a table playing dollar two dollar like he won twenty dollars and that's the highest end of his like winning spectrum it was at very that game. very low stakes but yeah, yeah. yeah. um it, anyway i won started playing that we started playing home games a lot of actually almost all the friends i hung out with at that time we all got into poker at the time so we play like five dollar tournaments and ten dollar tournaments and stuff and then we started all getting taking it more seriously because we're like there's actually some money to be made here and and so you know like that was probably like a two-year period of time and i was still going to college a little bit but i could sense i was like not being interested. In fact, this is what I remember. I remember having to take take speech class to get my associate's degree, and I I was too afraid. I, I I basically was like, I'm not taking speech. I'm not going back to college because of speaking in front of people. Yes. Okay. Which is funny because now I can kind of do it without with no problem or whatever. Right. Um, but I refused to take that class, and you had to take it to get your associate's degree. So I actually probably would have gotten an associate's degree with like a C average if. 
I didn't have to take speech, right? So it's just, again, it's one of those Six things. Like mindset. I had to just, yeah. And so I didn't go back and I got a job at a hotel at the time. I was working a night shift because I was already playing poker a lot. So I was up late. I would go to work at 9, 9 p.m. and I would, stay, I would be there to 6 a.m. And I would actually play poker tournaments in an empty room while I was on shift. I was like the night audit or something. I would have to walk, patrol the building, make sure it's security. And if people came in late, I would check them in. Usually it was like three people a night. So for the most part, there'd always be empty rooms I could go into. I would even actually just go to sleep sometimes. Like I would sleep, <laughs> I, would, I would play poker. There, I remember one time I was in the middle of a poker tournament and I had like three check-ins at a time, but the whole hotel was booked because there was like a big, it was an extended stay hotel where people would stay for like a month or two weeks or a month. And there was a big construction project. And so there was tons of, it was full occupancy, right? So the only place I could go where I could go on the computer and be private was this towel closet that was loaded with towels to the top. And, <laughs> and it was, it was, I mean, probably six feet wide by 10 long. And all the towels were tacked, stacked to the top. So I went back into the corner and I like moved some towels and I set my laptop right there. And that's where I was playing poker. And I would run down when someone called to check in, check them in, run back up so I didn't miss a lot of hands. So you That's were a, what great, I did for you were a great employee is what you're trying to say. Uh, yeah. Imagine if you worked for you right now and you found out that you're going going into rooms and sleeping and playing poker. This, this is before the days that were CCTV cameras were like everywhere. Yeah. So. I mean, it, but it, I got the job done. I mean, for yeah. the most part, I wasn't that bad of an employee because I did get the job done. It's just a job that like, what am I supposed to do for eight hours? Walk around and stare at the stars like there wasn't a lot to do at night for eight hours. You so, know? so, okay. And there so weren't I, cell phones where I could just like sit on my phone, right? Like right. they didn't exist. So I've heard that you did actually get into the poker playing like yes. in, in, in some sort of professional context. Yeah, correct? so the, the impetus was I got a I saw a, a, a TV commercial for a Chase student loan. Mm -hmm. I remember specifically it was Chase. They were like, we'll send you, apply online, we'll send you a check in two days, whatever. They gave me $7,000. And what was weird is they didn't send it to the school. A lot of them would send the money to the school and you use it. They sent the check to me and that excited me because I'm like, I'm gonna actually get this money. You know, they sent me $7,000. I, I think I deposited almost all of it. Maybe I deposited like 5,000 into online poker, right? I wait, proceeded. But that was, what was just a, applying for a credit card or a credit loan? It was like the student loan. Yeah. It was a student loan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Student loan. And they sent me a check and I deposited my personal account, put it into online poker, full tilt poker. It's the primary place I put it at the time. And over the next probably year, I ran up to like $150,000. You won $150,000. I, I took $7,000, turned into like one fifty. Wow. Yeah. And so I started playing a lot. I was playing all night. And I was I was making enough money to the point where like I didn't actually have to work. Online poker. Online yep, poker. Online okay. poker. Right. Okay. Yeah. And there was- It like, was a gold mine at the time. Yeah. I mean, it, there, was, it was crazy. There was a couple of nights where I won like 20000 in one session. I would play heads up and stuff. And were you um, known like in the community, the online community? Like, no, because I just played cash games and or anything? it wasn't- tournaments is how you really become known unless mm -hmm. you're playing really high stakes. And I was always better at cash games and you know, I make more money that way. Um, and they're a lot easier to make a living. Like, yeah. like okay. really hard to make money tournaments. Yeah. So, so you, you, you rack up, you know, 150 K from seven and do you blow through it? Are you living like a rock star? Like, is there, is it? No, that's what I did. Colin there, took another, I route. spent money. I definitely spent money and I, I, I bought a couple guitars. I bought a keyboard. I went to New York by myself and like left early cause I was bored. Like I didn't blow it the way you'd think living that lifestyle. Because again, I'm not like in Vegas. I'm just in Fort Myers, Florida where I grew up and I haven't been making money online, right? And so my lifestyle doesn't change a whole lot. Like I take my friends out a couple nights. We went to Blue Sushi one night. I made 20K that night. Yeah. I think you went with us. 
It was like you, me, Daryl, and, and maybe hold, Josh or whatever. Hold on, I have a, I have. Colin mentioned blue sushi, and I have a very specific memory of Colin at blue. That's sushi. That's the first time I had blue sushi. Is you brought, you took me to have sushi. Yeah, we're getting, a, we're getting a little ahead. But when Colin got really into fitness, we go to blue sushi, which is all you can eat sushi. But all you can eat sushi always has rules. You have to eat the whole sushi thing, which means you have to eat the rice. Did they have all you can eat? Yeah, I don't it remember was every that. day it was twelve dollars all you can eat sushi. Huh. I, don't, I don't mess with all you can eat. <laughs> it's made to order, so it's not like as crazy. It's not like it's yeah. sitting there on a buffet. It was pretty decent, and but he'd never been there, and he comes in and he's like yelling at them about the rice. He's like, "I want something with no rice." And they're like, "No, if you get the all you can eat sushi, you have to eat the rice." And he's like, "Well, I'm not gonna eat the fucking rice, so what, I just want something with all the rice." And he's like getting mad at them, and they're like, "Okay, so you can pay full price." He's like, "I'm not paying full price," and he. Anyway, that I was, don't know uh, how accurate the story is because I don't remember it. So one it was, thing it scarred me. I was like, Brent's Ooh. stories are always exaggerated. So I don't know if it's accurate. I think I might have like caused a little bit of a scene, I like over the rice. <laughs> but 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 it was also funny. So I was trying to be funny with it or whatever. You know, I wasn't like being verbally abusive to the waiters. No, yeah, that's true. No he reason, might not have dropped that. You know, from. but I but I definitely had only had sushi a couple times in my life, right? And it's one of those things that like kids, like young kids, have sushi now. But we grew up in like Cape Coral, Florida, and it. We just didn't have a lot of things. So my dad took me to a Chinese restaurant once, and I was like, I'd never seen this food before. And I was probably fourteen, like that kind of stuff, you know. So you're feeling like you got some coin in the in the bank. most money I've ever had in sushi. Yep. Yeah, you know, the next thing's caviar. Like, where, <laughs> see, I never so, went to that extent though. Okay. I probably spent like thirty thousand dollars on just randomness, How? but I but I also lived. Like, I got an apartment. My buddy Ryan moved in. He was playing a little bit here in our line at the time. What year is this? Oh man, that's a oh six maybe. That's a tough one. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like 06, yeah. Okay, so... Two to three years after how, how I long right How long were you doing the professional poker thing? Till when? Probably, probably two years. Till, two years. Till I was like... And what happened is, I was like, man, this is brutal. Because, like, I went on a little bit of a downswing, so I probably lost, like, 20, 30,000 back, and that was a significant part of my bankroll. And so I'm like, oh, I got to find something else. This, okay. is, this is brutal. And so I started, like, opening my mind. But I had been going to the gym at the time a lot, right? So I was still heavily into fitness. So let's take it from there. So... Yep. What, what does that look like? So you're heavily into yep. fitness. You've had a taste of getting some real mm -hmm. you know, money in the bank. You're probably starting to form like really an entrepreneur mindset at this stage. Yeah, well, I was already, that was like kind of the first step because it was, I work for myself, right? It wasn't really a business. Or it wasn't a business, but it was, you know, I'm my own boss, you know? And before that, when I was younger playing Magic, Magic the Gathering is actually a big game. That's how I met a lot of the people I know. I used to trade cards at the card shop, and then I would sell those on eBay. I probably made like five or ten thousand dollars doing that. So like you were flipping, like yeah, yeah. And he I was doing flipping. I was selling that. It's basically, like yep. Gary Gary Vaynerchuk. Yep, still messes yep. around with that. Yep, time to time, probably as a hobby this time. But right. So so okay. So you're flipping things here and there. You're definitely even if you don't know it or recognize it at that time, the entrepreneur yep. kind of thing is definitely taking hold of you. Right. So what's what's the next thing? You're into fitness. Where I'm into that, fitness. Where does that lead you? I'm going to the LA Fitness in Cape Coral. I'm there about three to four hours a day. Okay. So I, my routine was like racquetball, elliptical, lifting weights, stretching. And then I just like end up, I knew people there enough where I would hang out or whatever. And my, a couple of my buddies were lifting a lot. They were definitely doing shit, which is kind of annoying now that I think about it because they were way bigger and stronger than me. <laughs> but I was like the natural guy. Well, but They were helping you. They weren't telling I, you that they were using additives and you were striving to be as big and strong as them, Colin. Yeah, yeah. They I were guess. helping this. I guess. Don't, don't shit on them just because they had to take shots in the ass. <laughs> well, so what happened is I was doing that and I, it's again, it's one of those, it's crazy when you actually go back to think about it. One of those pivotal moments that would that changed my life was I was reading a men's health 
And there was this little like side article. You know how they have them like, like they'll break up a page and on the right side, they'll have this, this little short bit. Well, they're talking about the 300 workout, right? And like five lines in, uh-huh. they make they make a short reference to CrossFit, right? And I'm like, what the hell is this CrossFit? So I start reading. That night, I went on CrossFit.com. I watched the Nasty Girls workout, which you can still find on YouTube. It's, it's, a, it's a workout. Three super strong women do it amazing. And... I start like reading all the lingo on the website. Like there's this whole community. There's all these things like it's crazy. So I find a certification to become a level one certified CrossFit instructor. And I paid the $2,000 that night to do it. Right. And, and it was weird because my personality at the time that was very foreign. Like I, even when I did, I felt kind of like nervous, lightheaded about it, you know? Well, and let me jump in real quick. So for those of the, of you know, the audience, uh, whoever's listening that doesn't remember at that time, 300 was like the movie yeah. and it was like the model for everybody who All the guys wanted, wanted to, look to be ripped, like that, right? Yep. Everybody yep. wanted, they, the guys were shredded in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so then I remember at the time I was at First Ranger Battalion, I remember hearing about, you know, the 300 workout. Mm-hmm. Yep. And That's exactly just going, what it was. okay, what was the 300 workout? And, and so the circuit training and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so pivotal moment. You read it. Book that cert that night. Okay, you book the cert. Where does that leave you? Fort Lauderdale. So okay. I'm in. I'm on the other coast, two hours to the other coast. I book it. It's like a month or two later. I go to it, and and this is another pivotal moment where I remember. I get goosebumps as I think about it. I walk into this gym. It's in a warehouse park. There's like the you know the tan buildings, like roll up bay door, roll up bay door, roll up bay door. And so I walk in this unassuming building. There's like not even a sign. I don't think right. And the garage door's open. It's a real gym. It's it's it. But I've never been to a warehouse gym, gym in my yeah. life. You know what I'm saying? I've only been to the global gyms, right? I walk in and I'm, I swear it's like a movie. If I could film myself, I'm like, my head's like looking up and what I'm doing right now is like, I'm looking up at the ceiling. That's what I'm doing right now. And I'm looking around and I'm like, what is this? I was so confused. I'm like, what, am I in the right place? There was like a few bars on the wall. There's like a GHD mecha- machine, which I had no idea what it was. And it was just forced. What's your typical gym with like, you know, dumbbells, barbells. None of that. Like you didn't see any machines. of that. Right. It was right. just mostly floor space. And there was these heavy mats on the floor. That was it. And there's pe- there's all these fit people hanging out and talking. And like, they they obviously were a part of the community because like they were comfortable. And I'm just like walking in. And I remember thinking to myself, if this is literally this business, I could do this. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I, I like thought that to myself. I'm like, okay, so I, I could the do, apple falls I could on do your this. Head. I could do this. So, yeah. so you said you signed up for the cert. So you're getting certified to yep. what? Become a trainer? Yeah, it's like a two-day okay. intensive so, thing. So from the article on Men's Health, you read it, you're like, I'm down for the. Uh, this is me. Yep. Okay, so you went, you did the two days, you certed. Mm-hmm. At the end of that, they give you your certification. Mm-hmm. Like you pass, you have to pass a test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you are now you are a certified CrossFit trainer, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Okay, so you start working for this gym. Do you go back for where you're no, at? Like, I just started working for the gym. I just did it. I did it for me. I didn't want to be a coach. I didn't want to be a gym owner. I, I did it because I wanted to I wanted to have it for myself, right? And to kind of know it for myself. It was purely an interest thing, you know, because I was into fitness. I wasn't like trying to start a business with it. I didn't even know you could start a business with it. That's why when I walked in that gym, I was like, what is this? It was just like completely blew my mind. I'd never seen a warehouse gym in my life. But these you know? things are starting to really, so Brent, are you noticing this? Like now I'm starting to see how this is formulating into who Colin is today. And, you know, looking back on this. Okay. So I remember it. So from my perspective here, this is kind of interesting. He's telling me about this and he's like, yeah, I just paid $2,000 to, and he, I was like, that sounds like a scam, dude. I, I everything told to Brent's a scam though. But I'm yeah. super skeptical of <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah. And he tells me that I'm like, 
they they paid they made you pay two thousand dollars to like <laughs> go to a group workout like that sounds insane to well, me because i i mean like you know to back up brent a little bit like normal certifications you can pay like you know a few hundred bucks or something for just to work at like, it was, let's yeah, say it's golds a completely or something different like that so model. it's different yeah it's it different, is different. and it was newer yes so yeah. whatever it is what it is okay let's jump let's jump a little bit so i come you back to florida i got my cert yeah we started so i had money okay we from I poker from poker okay i live now uh closer to golf coast town center fgcu it's a big college in uh, southwest florida with my buddy alex he's my roommate and we decide to build a, a little gym in the garage because that was a big thing in CrossFit. A lot of, there weren't as many boxes as there were like CrossFit gyms, so people would just get a few pieces of equipment and do the workouts in their driveway, right? So we built a pull-up bar out of a galvanized pipe from Home Depot. Built that; that was fun. Got some rings, bought like three sets of bumper plates, and then we started working out, being in the driveway. You know, probably pissing the neighbors off a lot. We got complaints on us, whatever. And then and then we just started doing that more and more and more. And then we started bringing friends in, and like we'd have group workouts, like ten people running around the the road with like barbells and dumbbells and, and kettlebells and stuff. And I got really heavily into it. That first year I got into CrossFit, I was, I was training about six days a week, definitely hit into some overtraining, right? Definitely like, like the kidneys and well, more so just like, I wasn't losing body fat the way, like at first I was like, Oh my God, I'm burning fat. It's crazy. And then it slowed and might've even reversed for a little bit. And that's when I started looking into heavily nutrition, right? Recovery, sleep and, and CrossFit researching no, int- int- it, yeah. researching. It, well and they were good because they they kind of gave you entry to a lot of those things like they were like the paleo movement was becoming a thing the zone diet um was like the first thing i got into because a lot of people across it did that and then that led me to paleo and then when i got into paleo though i started reading about it and this is like way at the beginning of the paleo diet movement right this is like right at the beginning things started clicking i'm like wow so if i buy food or eat food and it's like really good quality it's like less processed it's clean i feel better I perform better and I'm more likely to lose body fat and be stronger and faster and all these things I want to do. And because for CrossFit, a lot of it's performance. You want to perform the best you can, right? And I'm telling you, man, that that single thing is why wild foods exist today. Like if I had to trace it back, of course, all the other things led up to that, but that single thing, finding paleo and then the underlying philosophy of like paleontology and ancestral health and like where humans came from and how it directs what we should do today and whatever that was the all-encompassing thing that still directs why do i do today that's the catalyst but let's so let's just back up a little bit so from when you first started saying okay like i'm getting it you're being motivated you're researching you're finding out all these things about eating healthy and i start cooking heavily okay you started cooking a lot using like fresh foods i I spent like thousands of dollars on cooking gear okay pots and pans the nicest shit I started trying to buy, so I got heavily into supplements, of course, okay. right? I got heavily into, started getting into coffee. I never drank coffee in my life, got yeah. into coffee. Bulletproof coffee was kind of at the beginning stages, started getting it, learning about that, getting into that. Fasting came- Which is f- keto for- for Yeah, kind of. I mean, well, there's yeah, some keto- Kind of. It's low, MCT oil, low carb. correct? Low carb. And the butter. Paleo is like kind of, if you had to talk about the macros, a little bit more closer to the low carb okay. spectrum, right? Okay. Um, but some people can do high carb. You eat a lot of sweet potato if you want, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not full-blown keto. That's like all about reducing carbs. It was more about real food. Okay. If I want to eat carbs, I'm going to eat fruit and sweet potatoes, whatever. Like I can eat as many carbs as I want, but it should be real food. That's kind of the paleo baseline foundation. So, you know? so you're, okay, look, you're totally into it. It obviously has become your passion, fitness and health. Is there anything else that's rooted into the fitness and health aspect from your life? Anything? Well, or I mean, do you guys, it has, has disease run in your family. 
any any you know past experience. I, I actually never like, thought about that, but my grandmother did have. Uh, I think it was macular degeneration of the eyes. Mm-hmm. So she was basically legally blind and she could only see out of the corner of her eye. And she was, you know, a little, a little overweight, but she couldn't move much. Like she had broken her hip a couple of times, but she was also old, right? Like she, I think maybe 80 something when she, she passed, but she was that typical example of like the human body breaking down in our modern world and just more and more. But that wasn't like a, I'm doing this because I'm afraid thing. No, no, you no. Know? I just, I, I, so you, you said you lost your father. I didn't know if it was from a health thing. No, it was actually it, an overdose. Okay. Right. It was, uh, he was taking back medication. Um, he had always, you know, he drank a lot. He'd always done stuff, various things. He hit it from my, me and my sister very well, which that's to his credit, but it was probably an overdose of a pharmaceutical drug for pain Understood. is what it was. It might've interacted with something else. Yeah. Okay. So all these things, this time frame. When was when was the first moment that you thought I can make money doing what I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. which seems to have been kind of the motivation behind starting Wild Foods? Is, well, I mean, is that so accurate? The, so actually, we didn't get to the juice bar. Okay. So I'm I'm doing the CrossFit thing. I was doing LA Fitness before that, but like I said, I found CrossFit at LA Fitness, and I started transitioning to doing stuff at home. During that time, I had been researching opening a business through the Cape Coral LA Fitness. There's a juice bar inside the gym. I had actually dated the owner's wife in high school. So we were friendly, right? So I, I never knew that. Yeah, Danielle. Danielle, gotcha. Danielle so she was B. she was your girlfriend before. Yeah, for like married. a short period of time, right? And but she now owned this business with her husband and she ran it. My sister Actually, I think she worked there for a little bit. So Jamie got a job there, right? She's three years younger than me. She gets a job there and she's there. So I'm there. I'm at the gym every day, right? I become friendly with one of the other girls that works there and I just start learning more about the business. And Danielle starts talking to Jamie about how it's like a really good opportunity. And apparently her husband was like the area developer. So like he would sell franchises in a certain area. So they started talking about how you could open the one at the Gulf Coast Town Center that was opening up soon by the college. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. It's going to be, it's a huge college. They're building this huge outdoor mall. I mean, today it's, it's, it's like domain. It's that it's huge. It's established and everything. And so I started like asking more questions. They had this application if you wanted to be a franchisee and I filled it out and literally like over a few months, I, I got the money together it was like $135,000 turnkey, which is probably like the biggest ripoff in the history of ripoffs, but that's how franchises are, you know? they. I mean, for a first-time business owner, it's not that bad because they really do teach you everything, um, but business is really easy, guys, especially now with podcasts and internet. Like, you, I could have done that business for like $20,000 tops, you know? So, I pay that. Which is what his best friend Brent told him when they said how much it cost. Did you tell him it was a ripoff? <laughs> I did. I Again, I'm super skeptical of everything, and I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure you could open that exact same thing without all that money and the royalties, but it's so if he's he, right, he did, but it was still a good business, right? You went, it okay. made money for five, six years, right? Yeah, it, it, it supported my life story. It, w- it was a good, it was a good business. And it was also a learning, a learning moment, of course, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, yep. okay, continue from there. So, so the we, juice bar, you have the we juice open bar. that into the, the LA Fitness, right? It's right by a college, does really well for the first, um, probably five, six years. And I'm, I was actively involved in the beginning. I took it very seriously. Like I, 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 I ran the business. I was in there a lot, working shifts and everything. I had employees, taxes. I learned everything you can learn about business. About it's business. the best way to do it, man. It really is. And so then I started like reading things like E-Myth, which is how to like work on your business, not in your business. And I started to think, and then actually for our work week by Tim Ferriss, that was a pivotal book too. That was like opened up all these things like outsourcing and having employees and like lifestyle design and so I really, I mean, I, but that's an example where I, t- 
what I do and what I'm good at is I can take a book and I can take an idea and I can actually implement it in my life. A lot of people will just read it and think it's cool. It's interesting. They don't do shit. I, I literally did it. Like I got a Filipino VA. I made it so that I had all these systems in this small business so that it would run whether I'm there or not. Like I really did it. And what happened the first year of that business, this was at the time when I was getting into CrossFit. I was doing, I was kind of getting ready to open the juice bar, but I was really getting into CrossFit and food and nutrition. Well, I'm like, you know, it would be so awesome if we opened a CrossFit gym. And so I started talking to some people I know, some friends about it. And we started looking for spots. And I was like, I really want to own two businesses. It was weird. It was like kind of a dumb metric. Now I think about it, it as a vanity thing, but I was like, I really want to own two businesses, you know? And I actually recommend nobody should do that. You should only own one in focus, but because one was like a small brick and mortar, it didn't really require my time. I had the bandwidth to do something else, right? So like, it wasn't unreasonable for me to want that. And so we literally- well, they, go, they go together, kind of juice bar, you know? Well, it's also close. It's the same demographic. Like there was a lot of- Yeah, they were within like a mile. It maybe. was very close. And yeah. it was right next to the school. It was the right time. And so a year later, we literally started the CrossFit gym down the road. And I had two partners on that. And I would say that's the real business where I learned a lot about my life and myself and what I want to do and people and customers and and, and being sued. And, and there's a lot of <laughs> shit. There's a lot of shit, right? Uh, there's a lot of stories that we can't even go go to. But basically, we had the largest CrossFit gym in Southwest Florida for six years. The gym's still there today. It's, it's been there for 10 years. Is it a, the same name? Or? Same name. The CrossFit so you there. sold it. Did you sell I it? Sold, so my, my, you, sold, you sold your partnership? To my partner. Okay. He, he still runs it. Yep. Okay. Still so there. it's still successful. It's, just, it's still there. Yep. You just basically got to a point where you decided... Was was what I had divided to you from it? Or? I had to move. Okay, from from Florida. From Florida, that so was my Austin thing. was on. It wasn't that. big enough. Okay. So while I'm doing CrossFit, mm -hmm. while I'm doing this gym, while I'm doing these things, I'm progressively removing myself from the business. I'm, when, I'm treating it like a business. When when does Wild Foods become an idea? So even if you don't have the name, I mean, just when did you say, okay, I'm moving to Austin, or did Wild Foods? The idea for Wild Foods, did that happen before you moved? Did it happen after you got to Austin? Mm -hmm. How? I, I, know, I, I remember the exact timeline. So I decided I'm going to move to Sarasota, which is about an hour north. Keep my ownership in the gym because I'll be close enough if I need to. It was kind of almost a test. Can I really do this being that far away? I moved to Sarasota. I have some opportunities to consult on some uh, real estate. And I do some like technology stuff and some content stuff for the small real estate agency uh, she pays me some money, it's a little bit every month. I do that. And then I just eventually decide that, you know, I'm over, I'm done. Like, and so I make plans to divest myself. My partner and I negotiate a plan where I get kind of paid for like two years. We get a little bit of money, not nothing substantial, but for me, it's more of just a mental release from it, right? And I go to Sarasota. I don't really have plans of what I want to do. I'm there for about a year and, or maybe even six months. And then I realize I just have to get out of Florida. Like I want to do something bigger. I don't know what it's going to be. But I know that I need to go to California. I, no, actually, California was like a third option. I need to go to either Austin, Texas, because I had some friends that love it, Colorado, Denver, or um, Charlotte, or somewhere in the Carolinas, because I, I love the Carolinas. I've been there. I wanted to go to a younger, hipper, more progressive market to do something different, right? I didn't really have the idea to do food or supplements or anything like that, but I'm trying to think what the exact thing was. I think it was Ask Dave Asprey's Bulletproof brand, where I started watching what he was doing. He was doing like content and then he started like launching products on YouTube, YouTube, his, his podcast, stuff okay. like that. Yeah. And I was getting into internet marketing a little bit. I had a blog, right. And that kind of led me into things. And I started thinking like Amazon FBA was a thing. So that's fulfillment, fulfillment by, Amazon. by Amazon. It's Amazon prime. And like there's, you can look about it online. There's people that make millions of dollars with it or whatever. That was becoming very popular at the time. It was like the wild west. I was even a little late to it. People were already making millions of dollars doing it. 
And so I had the idea that maybe I'll do like food or supplements or something. I'd always thought like it'd be really cool to own a food brand, but I just didn't take it seriously. I'm like, I, I don't know anything about that, right? And Asprey's brand and what he did really started opening my mind to, because he had like a cocoa powder and I think he had an MCT, like his first two products. And he would harp on about like how he sources it, how, he, how they make it or whatever. And I'm like, well, this is just a guy that has a blog that is now selling products. Maybe it's not that hard, right? So I, I was like, in the process of planning my move, I had moved back to Fort Myers to live, stay with my mom in Fort Myers for probably a month. And then I was going to pack up my car and drive, basically. My first stop was Austin, right? And I had started, I remember actually showing her on a piece of loose leaf paper in a spiral book, names of companies. Because I, I had the idea that I would do a protein and I would do an MCT because those are two products I was using in my coffee every morning. And I was like, I might as well source the stuff that I, I'm going to use. It's probably also protein definitely is something that, Almost everybody uses, right? Yeah, right. Okay. And I was using it on a daily basis. So like, yeah. why not get a, the best shit in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So I had a bunch of names and Wild Foods is one of the ones I wrote down. And where did it come from? I mean, you wrote it down, but I, where did you get the idea? I just wrote like different names because I wanted to be but very what? paleo inspired, very okay. nature, wild. Gotcha. I was wild. trying to convey that, right? Okay. Because I had believed from all the research I'd done in paleo nutrition was that the closer to nature the food is, the better it is, right? right? Not, not like Wild Foods because you're wild as a kid. No, and you're yeah exactly. purely the like natural nature just happened to align. Kind Some of, of his yeah. teachers no, probably I, think I that's it. where he got the name. Yeah, I was I, I get what you're saying. Basically, going back to the more natural just mm -hmm. existence of man. Yes, like wild food, living in the wild. Yeah, okay. like that's where humans yeah, yeah. came from, right? Yeah. And all the you know, it's I mean it's a multi million dollar brand name. It might even eventually be a billion dollar brand name. Like I kind of stumbled on something amazing. I'm not going to like take all this credit for it. I just kind of got lucky if, if you will. Right. I wrote down some things, some different words on this side, different words on this side, connected them to, and then just like read them out. And I remember showing my mom, like, I'm really thinking I'm liking this one, but it didn't stick initially. Which it was, was wild food. Which is wild food. Okay. It wasn't like, that's amazing. What were the other names? Do you remember? I, I literally, I, I got to find it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really so have, funny. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of one other name I had because now it's just It doesn't that, matter. You know? I mean, it really doesn't right. matter. Obviously, right. it's the right name. Right. Colin's kind of hit or miss with names. Like we we started selling something on Amazon that was like a these mouse this mouse pad that I have sitting here is something that we sold and he named our company for that Brent and Colin's Den of Awesome. No, it was actually way cooler than that. <laughs> it, it was Brent and Colin's awesomeness gaming store bro or something like that. It was, yeah. it was, because it was supposed to be turned funny. It into an acronym, I think. <laughs> yeah. Probably would have sold it. was actually out. really funny. You should see the reviews we got on that. People we, thought it was hilarious. He so photoshopped. Is it, is it a Wild Foods mouse pad? No. no we just, it, it's we, another business we did. It, there was not enough margin on it, but the, we, they, we did sell a decent amount of them, but he photoshopped the, this like, he took a pillow fight and photoshopped the mouse pads into the girl's hands. So we would get reviews that were like, oh yeah, oh yeah. as soon as I bought this product, two super hot girls showed up in my door and, and we, we had a pillow fought. fight. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it anyway. was, but again, that was an Amazon product. So we were really, my idea was to use Amazon to sell these products, right? And I basically- The first two, the protein and the, the MCT, MCT. You know, and so- So FBA. FBA. Correct. I sourced those. I found a supplier. I got samples. I got pricing, did all these things. I made sure that the sourcing, the quality, everything was there. Yeah, yeah. And then I started using them myself. Good mm -hmm. to go. And this was like, I mean, I showed her that Wild Foods name like two weeks before I moved to Austin, right? Which was what year? When was that? 2014. Okay. I, I moved to Austin. I got Airbnb October like 15th of 2014. Mm -hmm. So and we're almost on exactly the five-year anniversary. It's like in three yeah, days. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I got Airbnb and I, and I, my idea was I'll just see if I like the city. And I did. And I got one of those apartment hunters. He took me around, got an apartment. Still have money left from the poker days. 
No, I was actually living off only money from the box at that point. Okay. Yeah, the because po- the poker money was went into the box, the, yep. the CrossFit gym, yep. and then and spending it and whatever over the years. I mean, most of that poker money actually was to start the juice bar, right? The gym actually only needed like thirty thousand dollars, and I split that with three partners or whatever. But I was making a little bit of money income from that. Had I probably had maybe ten thousand dollars in my name, and I moved to Austin, right? And so, and you have friends here. I didn't have any friends here. No I had friends, friends that had nice. visited. So started new. And one of the other reasons was the big Paleo FX event every year is here in Austin. And so that was a big reason. Well, in Austin, Austin's really kicked off. Yes. I mean, it's it's the city that, you know, founded Whole Foods. Yep. Um, yeah, there was a lot of been, reasons why. Yeah, Hip, there's city. a lot of yoga. There's a lot of activity outdoor. Right. It was a really, it was a good choice, you know. Right. And it's only gotten better since then, right? So moved here. I had... I, like, I remember I had the products kind of priced and sourced, but I had only had samples at that point. So I moved to Austin, get into my apartment here on Rainy Street. I stupidly... Rainy Street, before it turned into the the bars and pubs? Well, no, there's, still, still, there's still a sky house there. There's like three of those tall skyscrapers. Okay, yeah. At the end. Yeah. yeah, no, I just... I, it's fair. Rainy, Rainy Street's still fairly new. So there was, you know, it was... They bought it. It turned it commercial. Yeah, so they, it was they've torn down a lot of those, and now yeah. they have... it's. Way more okay. stuff than when I'm okay. up there. Okay, gotcha. Um, so I moved into that. Yep. Then I basically... Hippest Street in Austin, basically. Yeah, one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of them. Yep, yep. So I get the first like order in. And what I do is I get this 40-pound bag, these like bakery bags. They come in these big bags that you can lug around. And it's 20 kilograms, 40, 42 pounds. They deliver them outside my door, right? I bring them in. And then I was labeling and packing and bagging everything myself in my apartment right wild foods wild way and wild mct and so i started doing that and i was selling them on amazon on amazon okay yep. and then i just started looking for more products mm-hmm. and my idea was that i would find a really good coffee roaster because i wanted to do coffee for sure because you know bulletproof coffee and all that that's something that mattered so i found a local coffee roaster like two miles away I still using to this day amazing coffee and that is how I launched like another 15 SKUs because we had tea, we had coffee, uh, we had different roasts. And then I just like started researching Amazon, how to make good more sales, how to get rankings, how to provide good service for you. And then like my apartment very quickly got taken over with racks and labels and all these things. And like, I, I should do like a time lapse because people were ordering so much. It would just started growing. Yeah. I mean, the first month might've been like $200 and then like 400 and I'm like, Oh my God. And cause you don't, you didn't really do any marketing. You just like listed it and people bought just it. Put it out. It's there, crazy. Yeah. Like today it's a little bit more difficult, but it's still amazing what the internet does, man. It's insane. So the first year, I think I did like 350 to $400,000. Mm-hmm. And this is products I had launched like middle of the year. Like it wasn't just, I had all my products in the year and it was like 12 calendar years. Like I was launching and building reviews and getting new products in and stuff. And I did that kind of money. And how much of that was net? I'd have to look. The, the thing is, because it, I was launching so many products, mm-hmm. I was just trying to put every penny back in. Putting it back in. That's I was I mean, literally yeah. putting it back in the business. I actually borrowed rent from my mom that year, I think twice. Mm-hmm. I had $1,600 in were rent. Cutting it, you were cutting it close, probably. I, I blew through all my money. I got invested mm-hmm. it. And I was I, I was always good at that. Like That's something, that's a lesson for any entrepreneur. It's like, I learned that with the box and with the juice bar. Anytime you have an opportunity to invest in your business, you just take that opportunity. So you bought it's, more product. You bought new product. Product, new product, labels, improvements. Mm-hmm. That's almost all of what it was. Like okay. the biggest problem Wild Foods has had has always been inventory. We that never have the, enough product. That was the first year that you did that. First year. Okay. So the revenue was, let's say like 350, 450, I think it was about 450,000, right? And I remember I would text my mom and I was like, we literally did double 
this year. Like we, it was like 10,000. Then it was like 20,000. And then I hit, I hit like my first $50,000 month. And I, and I was, it was very strange. It was like euphoric. I almost couldn't believe it was true. But then the other side, I'm like, how do I get this even bigger? You know? Right. right, right. And so how do you grow it? Yeah. And then I moved out of rain, uh, rainy and I moved into another apartment, cut my run in half and then filled that up basically as a warehouse. I, I remember my first employee was like probably a year and a half in and she would come in the morning like 7 or 8 a.m. I'd keep my my sound machine on and I would sleep to like noon and she'd just be like packing stuff the whole time. And then we grew to like two employees and then three and then we literally didn't get our first like actual warehouse until like two years into the business and I probably had like four four employees. So so something that I've, I've you know, seen some of the videos and I've explored FBA also in the past is uh, I've seen videos where people would talk about the notifications for the orders. Like they would go to sleep and then yep. wake up the next morning and there would be, you know, 50 orders. Mm-hmm. Were you seeing that also like on your dashboard or in your email inbox? I was those doing types it. Of things? I remember when I hit $1,000 a day in sales, I would just every day check to make sure it was like at least 1000 And then I got to a point where I hit 2000 right? And then, I mean, so let's just, I'll just give you a breakdown of the numbers real quick. So 450 first year, we did... That was going to be my next question. 1.5 million the next year. So you went from 450. 300% about growth, yeah. To 1.5 the next year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And because because you invested back in it, you got more product? More product, yeah. Okay. That was so you were able to sell more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So keep going. 2.9. Same same model? Investing in product more? Labels? Yeah. Well, but stuff? I also spent a lot on building the brand. Like okay. if you go to our website, yeah. if you look at all the content and things we've yeah, done, yeah. if I, I mean... So I'm, brand, now you're branding. Also. I'm glad I did it. But if I wanted to be a purely FBA business, I could have, I mean, I, I probably missed opportunity. Like if I would have invested every penny into the best sellers and culled the ones that weren't selling, we'd probably be double size. So you would now. have just cut the ones that weren't cut performing. All of, them, all of them. Because I tied up, I tied up cash in those. How long do you, how long do you look at it as a non-performer before you cut it or before you would now? Like. How it long was, do you give it? it is was it simply, three months? Is it six months? There's no right metric. It's simply, yeah. do I have money to stay in stock? Mm-hmm. And I, so actually for 2018, what are we, what are we we're 2019. This is yeah, 2019. 2019. 20, 20, 20. For, for 2018. <laughs> Just been 10 months. We guesstimate we lost a million dollars in revenue. Just from stock. From stock outs. You didn't have the stock. To Bestseller was out for like 60 days. Yep. Okay. And then and, like and, multiple But you products. couldn't anticipate that. Is that right? You, you kind of could. It was one of those things. But like, it's a risk. I mean, right. So if you buy it and it doesn't perform, then you're out, right? Well, yeah, there's always inventory risk, okay. but my history was if I stocked it, I sold it. Like right. there had never been a point where okay. I had inventory for more than like 90 days. Right. Right. So you just couldn't get it. You just couldn't get I it. I had fulfilled. no outside funding. Yep. No investors. So it was a funding issue. It was purely cash. If I cash, we probably could have doubled the business that year. Couldn't you have gotten at that point a credit line to? I did. I, I did Amazon loans. I had those uh-huh. for about two years. At one point, Amazon gave me like three hundred thousand dollars. Okay, but you literally spend that in like thirty days, and then you're already, and then you're yeah. back into the same cycle. Same cycle, right? Okay. Yeah. So, I kind of got on the Amazon drip for a couple of years. It definitely helped us grow, but it really plateaued us because I just didn't have capital to do all the things. Yeah, right? So it was a capital thing, which is purely which capital. Most most yeah. new entrepreneurs most fail from yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. Yep. Okay. So. What is it like today? So for like 2019 projection, you know, we're getting close, obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. What do you, are you comfortable saying, you know, what you think the number is this year? Well, I can't say now, uh-huh. but I will, tell you, projection, I will tell you what has happened since then. Okay. Okay. So I'd always toyed around the idea of bringing investors on, right? I've never like wanted to just like sell the company because I really believe in what we're doing, right? I, if I, what I want to do is I want to take it big. 
because I want to impact millions of people, right? And I really think we can. Like for me, I look at Wild Foods as more of an education company. I want to like infect people's mind with the idea of like real food and ancestral health. If I can do that through like a bag of Cocotropic in their morning routine, I could I could potentially save their life and their children's life. Like that's why I do what I do, right? So for me, I want to have a billion dollar business, not to make that money because I don't, I'm never going to need that kind of money, but to have that kind of impact, right? And so where we're at today is just a couple months ago, we, I guess we sold the company and I'm retained on. We, I, it's <laughs> yes, weird, it's I mean, weird, you better know. It's weird guesses. to say it. It's weird to say because I sold it. I sold majority of the company and I still retain part ownership of it. Also still the CEO. And I'm still the CEO. Okay. Yep. And yeah, it's like an accu hire. Yeah. And the goal, sorted. the goal was to grow the company. Right. And mm-hmm. so it was one of those things like we needed capital. We had plateaued a little bit. Um, you know, I told you we got to the, we got to the, about the 3.05 mil last year and our projection is higher than that. Not as the, not the same growth rate, but it was around that. So we definitely hit a plateau in our growth, but also Amazon has slowed down a little bit. Amazon is like promoting some private label products or not. It's making oh, they it. Got PPC more. Yeah, Dude, don't forget they bought, they bought whole foods. Well, right. and they also have their their own line of products, and there's they they which they, probably comes from Whole Foods. For the well, they, it doesn't even have to. They just yeah, literally okay. they literally just create. Private Look at brands. Amazon's Choice products when you're on there, man. Yeah. Like number one, most Amazon Choice products are awesome. So like when I go to buy like a like a USB cable or you know an HDMI cable. I default I, to the Amazon basics. I, exactly. So, so look, what I'm, I mean, this is obviously just conjecture, but it, it could even bounce down to like algorithms. Like mm-hmm. if they're, you know, why are they going to sell wild foods or promote it highly unless there's some sort of you know, becoming, benefit for them and becoming, they're getting into your, they're getting into the food business, you know? So, yeah. well, they've been in it, but I mean, I think Amazon owns like 60 brands or maybe 120 or something. People don't realize that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they all sell on Amazon. They need to buy wild foods. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, Amazon, just, if you're listening, you can buy us. Well, it's they just, got, they got whole foods. It's just one of those things that like, we don't want to talk too much about Amazon, but if you build a brand, the, the, the selling channel doesn't matter. And that's what I'm focused on. Right. I want impact. I don't, I don't care about, the, the dollars really. So the, all this stuff, I could literally talk to you for the next, you know, of couple course. hours about this, but you guys recently opened a brick and mortar mm-hmm. on Burnett Burnett Street. road yeah, in Austin, in yep. Austin, Texas. So that's like our flagship. We have right. coffee, tea, and coffee. we have retail. Right. Yep. Okay. So I love this. When you told me that you were doing it, mm-hmm. I was like, dude, this is money because if you look at where the playing field is today and you look at where whole foods came from okay i love whole foods i love the way it's set up i love the the buffets like mm-hmm. whenever i go on road trips or anything i don't go to restaurants yep i go and i find where whole foods is because you can get the food fast it's pretty cheap considering the quality of it and you know it's one of my favorite stores now that being said i feel like a little bit like whole foods and what it stood for kind of sold out a little bit oh yeah with you know, Amazon purchasing it. And also I was a regular Whole Foods kind of, you know, person. I'd drink their coffee. I'd go in there every day and I saw the brand. I saw everything. I thought, saw a lot of things change about it. Mm-hmm. So for me in Austin and knowing where Whole Foods came from, seeing Wild Foods where it's at right now, seeing the brick and mortar come about, I just see massive opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Now, not for like a huge growth because obviously you guys are in a growth stage and you got this first one out, mm-hmm. but a retail kind of store where I can go and I can buy these whole, you know, these wild foods. Mm-hmm. 
and then have coffee and do everything, I see an opportunity for the next Whole Foods to come around, which is the local, you know what I mean? Like the wild foods, the fresh foods, all these things going back to what I think really launched Whole Foods Mm -hmm. and that's become lost a little bit. You know, they have Sprouts, there's Sprouts, there's these other brands that are out there. They're not doing the same thing that you guys are doing right now at the boutique level, um, which is this combination of, of, you know, what you guys stand for, which is the healthy living, but then also like the coffee roastery and all these other things. Like Mm -hmm. you guys are really standing for something I think really cool and very kind of like Austin. There's a lot of people who have started in Austin, Texas. And so I'm super excited about this one. I haven't gone down yet, which I want to, Mm -hmm. but I think I could see some, another one in Austin starting at some point soon and being very popular or in denver or yeah i mean yeah. eventually yeah. something so that grows like that but but i mean something that becomes massive where you're talking about warehouse space and all this kind of stuff you know at the right scale being able to have a retail you know what i mean where you can go and you could get these products but it's not like a gnc like yep. if i walk into gnc i'm buying something and i'm out mm-hmm you give purpose to me visiting exactly it's an experience so i come and i see call and i see all the people that work in a wild foods mm-hmm. i sit down i have a coffee i pop open my laptop maybe for a little bit yep i'm in there you know i chug down you know some sort of juice or, or protein shake and then i go and i go work wherever or whatever it is so love the concept and i'll say the coffee is ridiculously cheap like we the the prices are super low compared like you're half of starbucks at Wild foods, and you're getting twice Cheap the quality, three or times value. The quality. Yeah, well, Cheap's yeah. Sorry, word. I didn't want to say. Yeah, I'm not saying it's single bad, origin, organic, fair trade, locally roasted. It's not cheap by any means, but it is it, half the price of Starbucks. We try to go with the um, what's the burger place that does it? Really good prices. In and um, out. In and out. Yeah, I like their model. In and out, and yeah. also Pete Terry's is the same thing. Yes, they're yeah. local farmers and all that. Yes, kind of stuff. Like so you can have good food, and it, you don't you don't have to build so much margin into it because I'm not trying to open thirty thousand locations. Right. But yeah. what like, but what you said right now is real important, also. And most people in America don't understand. Like they've drank coffee for years, but usually it's like Folgers, and it's or it's like instant, and yep. and oh, you know, or like so, so people, you know, the crystals, all that kind of stuff. People don't understand and this is like, we could have another podcast about it, but I would just want to touch on it real briefly because you did is single origin is super important for coffee and people that don't understand. I'm like an aficionado of coffee at this point. I self-proclaimed at least. So, (laughs) so single origin, it's kind of the same thing where, you know, they always, you always hear people talking about blends. Oh, we have this nice breakfast blend. Oh, we have this blend, this blend. Blending to me is cutting. Yep. And and so the Robusta, people don't know what Robusta is. A lot of people are driven by the caffeine. The truth is, is that caffeine comes from a low-grade coffee. And the lower the elevation is for coffee, the higher the insects. So caffeine is a byproduct of the plant itself. It's the plant's insecticide. Yeah. The, so the, the higher the elevation the caffeine you get. is like the pesticide to the... Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The higher the elevation you get, the lower the amount of caffeine and also the origin. So when you say single origin to me, like I'm like, boom, keyword. Mm-hmm. So single origin, what do you also say? Non-GMO, what, what are the other? Yeah, fair trade organic. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, no pesticides, mm-hmm. all these things with a single origin, you know that you're getting a good quality coffee because it's not cut. Usually these things are cut. So if it's a blend, that means that it was Colin's single origin, 
mixed with some Robusta, yeah. which is a lower elevation they, coffee. They, they usually don't tr- trace the origin, right, which allows for lower quality beans to be put in. You know, Dave Asprey made a big thing out of the mold, which I think is definitely an issue. I think it might be overblown, but there's definitely an issue. Like but that's I, caused I, from cargo and shipping Well, cargo shipping, but it's also lower quality coffees that don't have the same storage. They don't have the same drying methods or right. the wash method. Like there's a lot of variables to it. It's with every, anything. The more that the farmer treats his crop better and invests in his crop, the better it's going to be for you health-wise, right? So 100%. That's, sort of, that's always something that we try to stand by when we source. But when they're, like when, when, when they blend, but when they're blending, they're taking your good single origin and they're adding volume to it yes. to sell it in yes. bulk. From anywhere, sometimes. Right. Right. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, nobody's drug dealing here, but it's kind of the same concept <laughs> as no, with, like what they do yeah. with drugs. We just put a video out on our YouTube or on our Instagram and our YouTube we did like a, it was basically like a drug deal where when they came and like, you got the stuff and then they like cut it open and it's our coffee beans. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. It was pretty, yeah, yeah. it was good. Yeah, so those are, those are huge. And look, look, Colin, I mean, obviously, like I said, I could sit here, I could continue to interview you. I think we're going to have to do follow-up interviews because there's other things that I want to learn like about, you know, wild foods and how you've structured. I think mm-hmm. that entrepreneurs could, could definitely learn about in terms of marketing, branding. Yep you know, the e-commerce side, mm-hmm. how you've built wild foods, but this is, this is a whole nother podcast. Yeah. And I think, like I mentioned, I've known you for a bit here, haven't really gotten to hear about your story or where wild foods came from. And I know there's a lot of content online, mm-hmm. but I hadn't heard it from you directly. And so I mean, I, I yeah, really let's thank do you a, for let's this do a round two. And I appreciate that. So here's the round two, the entrepreneurial side part of Colin. And I've said this a million times to people that I know, I thought that I was really good at working and being efficient and being like the people that I know, the people that I've worked with, I'm always the best. And then Colin puts me to shame. Like I just, I can't even come close to his level of activity, his level of what he can get done in a short period of time. It took a long time. Though. It's years it, though. It's beastly. It took, it and it took, would be, it took years. That's the unstory. Uh, that's the story to unpack the yeah. specifics of how you became like so zeroed in and so specifically able to crush souls. I mean, the, the short answer, we can get into it more, but the short answer is it took a long time. Like it did take a long that, time. That's what people don't understand though. There's, there's hacks for and sure. Hard work. There's hacks and hard work. Yes. But I'm at the point now where I'm so effective at my workflow and the things I have to do, whether it's responding emails, Slack, Asana, my task management, you know, blocking out time to like focus for an hour or two. Like I'm so good at that, that I have more free time that I don't even know what to do with myself. You've sometimes. become so. Here's the thing. That, like, you've become efficient. <laughs> yeah, you've become ultra efficient, and that's a great thing. And that I think if you're willing to share that with other people, other entrepreneurs, on how you did that, how you accomplished that, it's going to be pretty amazing. I just wanted like you know, kind of circle it up and we can and, talk and about it, that for sure. In the next one, yeah, yeah. But just to put bookends on this, I do see a pattern. I did see the storyline, like, you know, what people refer to as that golden thread Mm -hmm. in regards to how you got to wild foods Mm -hmm. from, you know, childhood to college to all these different things. And I think we got most of them. Like there might've been a few I've missed, but like most of those big pivot aha moments or whatever, like with the gym, the move, the Sarasota, the... Well, and I mean, just little things Since I've been in Austin though, too, there's also been those. Like, in fact, that, that would be maybe a good part too. Since I've been in Austin though, I've gone through... So here's the thing. Most of the business stress I've had in my life when I had the gym for six years, I had, I had the juice bar, things would break. I'd have to get this. I even had periods of time where we had coaches that worked for us that would, that opened a gym around the corner and then literally just like solicited 20 or 30 members to leave and undercut our prices. I had that happen three times 
and I'm pretty sure three of them have since failed, right? So that's just karmic justice. I don't really care either way. I'm over it, right? It's not like, aha, got you. But it's one of those examples. Like when you do shit, shady, shitty things, usually the universe corrects itself, right? It regresses to the mean, right? But all that was nothing until I did Wild Foods in Austin. Permitting, um, the police coming. There's some crazy things that have happened in my struggles with the city of Austin. And... Well, you're just not big enough yet. It was... But that's the thing, though. It's like amazing. Like, now you they'll, they'll give the small business it. owners like so much grief because you can't do anything. You but if I was it. like Starbucks, it would it'd be like oh, you need to write a book about it. it. You need to write a book about it. Yeah. But look, and here's I the got other enough thing. to do. This is this is the other thing. If you would have gone to Colorado or the other places you were saying, like California, it's really interesting to ponder the idea that wild foods may not exist. It probably right. might. It may exist, or be but it could have been something form. different. Yeah. Or or maybe your life would have taken a different path. So I think it's crucial also to acknowledge that all these little decisions that we make in our lives, that could be the smallest decision that you feel like today, it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. that, you know, a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, these things can, can be like major Mm -hmm. in your life. Yeah. Whether it's a spouse, you know, your child, Small decisions that you a make girlfriend. today can have a lasting effect on your yep. future. Yep. That's the message. It really is. And it's important because um, you look at what Collins put together with Wild Foods. It's super impressive. I love the brand. I love everything that it stands for. And I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the future on it. Yeah, I appreciate it. And actually to close that out on what you just said. So something I've been thinking about lately is someone said it somewhere, but he was talking about feedback loops. The reason most people can't stick with the diet, they can't quit smoking, they can't start a business and stick with it, they can't build a social account. A lot of times, Sam Ovens, that's where I heard it. A lot of times the things that you did two years ago are the reason that something is happening today. The human mind cannot comprehend that. Like like the human animal that belongs in the wild, which is what homo sapiens sapiens are, and that's what it is, homo sapiens sapiens. Most people don't realize that. We are not built for this environment. So for whatever reason, my upbringing and decisions I made and the way I think, and I'm, and I'm willing to think long-term, I'm willing to invest in my business, I'm willing to do all these things, like they are the result of like decisions I made years ago, right? And now I'm to the point where, like I said, I'm, I'm efficient and I can get things done. Almost to the point where like I need to find a hobby or whatever, right? So these are all things that I've, I mean, I've literally done two years ago, three years ago that I don't even remember, no clue. So the theme is always like, like Gary Vee talks about this a lot, like you got to think long-term, man. Like kids nowadays, even business people get into business, they think like six months is long term. Dude, most of the major corporations in the Fortune 500 are like years and years and years. I mean, Apple's like, oh, what, 50 years old now or 40 or something absurd? And mm-hmm. most people think they're new. Like they, it was only recently that they, they had the explosion that was a result of compounding over years and years and years and then almost blowing up and failing before jobs came back in, you know? So it's like... So, you have to think long term and you have to realize that what you do today is going to affect things way later in the future. And that's why every day get stuff done, be productive and think about the long term and be patient, be patient. That's Sowing and reaping. Yep. Sowing and reaping. Yeah. Think like a farmer, actually. Farmers have to be that's really exactly patient. That's is. the perfect way. Think about it. Part three is going to be calling the farmer because he's on that, he's on well, that path. When I move out there, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. That'll be fun. I was enthralled learning everything that I already knew about Colin. So the fact that I was... You didn't know all that. Don't even lie. No, I, I mean, there there were a couple things I learned, yes. Well, that's what's amazing about, you know... He just learns the big stories. steps, right? Yeah, he doesn't right. know, like, all the nitty-gritty stuff. Like, or well, my mindset Most or people don't. Because I don't talk about it. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. That is my point. And that's what's crucial about, you know, finding yeah. story. Yeah. Finding story. And, it, and if you can 
bring this into you know teams and and, yep. and businesses yep. then the level of you know intimacy with the individuals like mm-hmm. you feel more connected with them our brains are driven for story yeah you and know? you can get on the same mission you get in the same path exactly it's so exactly. important yep. same, share the same vision yeah so if you wanted to learn more to get involved with the professional of extracting and telling stories where would we find more about find Joel? Joel on LinkedIn? I know for sure, right? Joel Carpenter. Yeah, you could. Yeah, exactly. You can find me on LinkedIn. Also, you can go to speaker-buzz.com. That's uh, you know we have the multimedia and the um, the different speakers involved in mm-hmm. that. So anybody can reach me there. You can you, also f- you do like a lot of veteran stuff too, right? And like definitely primarily I mean, what Speaker Buzz is is a trend. No, 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 no. I mean, we I don't want to get too much lot. into that. Yeah, we'll just plug it real quick. It's so team be- building. Yeah, uh, it's you know consultancy mm-hmm. story building. Um, we do multimedia stuff. We do production. You also so have speakers. That it's a multimedia you can company, out, right? Correct. Like there's different speakers that we have. So um, yeah, and we're looking at you know events and so yeah, if, we if actually need to put together some events. Well, I mean, we've talked about it. We need yeah. to do it. And uh, well, now we have like I've been waiting on a lot yeah. of things and the deal stuff. So like, let's do it yeah. for sure. Yeah, and the the other way people can find me is contact Colin. <laughs> and then ask him how to get in touch then, with yeah, him. yeah I'll, he'll filter I'll out the uh there'll be links below too yeah all right yeah let's let's sign Make off sure y'all like and subscribe please leave us an itunes review we're tr- we need to grow this thing we need to get this message out we, we will read people. your reviews on the air we said this before like if you leave yes. us a review we will we will read it unless it's really stupid then we won't no we'll read it okay we'll read the really stupid ones and i'll, no, I'll say them in. nobody listening is gonna leave a stupid review come That's on true. we have a smart audience well here's what happens because of the way i am people intentionally leave stupid reviews because of me so Maybe. i was just trying to stop that no it happened on my others no because i've already instructed jason to edit out most of what you say every show <laughs> <laughs> you don't go back and listen so you know you never know <laughs> i always go back and listen okay no but seriously oh and go and get the Seven Principles of Living Wild PDF download at TheAncestralMind.com. That will get you on the email list. You also get that nifty PDF that can tell you how to live like a boss that is in tune with your nature, your your homo sapiens nature, right? And you also get every new show that's released via email. It's yep. perfect. So get on that. TheAncestralMind.com. Please always remember that the members of the Ancestral Mind podcast are not, in fact, medical professionals. They're not doctors. They're not nutritionists. They are simply providing this entertainment for you to do your own research and to entertain yourselves. So please consult a physician before changing your diet. Not everything works for everybody. And make sure you always do your own research on everything you hear on this show and outside. Thanks for listening to that show. Colin here, the Wild CEO. And I want you, if you haven't already, to go over to TheAncestralMind.com and download the 7 Principles of Living Wild PDF. You're going to hop on our Ancestral Mind newsletter. You're going to get the monthly Ancestral Mind newsletter, which is going to be full of content that's actionable, short, sweet, nothing too much, not too big of an investment of your time. You're also going to get every new show that we put out right in your inbox so you don't miss anything. You know, pick and choose. If you can't listen to every show, listen to every other or the ones that really strike your fancy we have a lot more coming out a lot more planned so make sure you get over there at theancestralmind.com and as always if you have any questions or comments you can send an email to me personally colin at wildfoods.co that's c-o-l-i-n at wildfoods.co and i look forward to hearing from you i will see you on the next episode today's show is brought to you by wild foods co Real food, real ingredients from small suppliers around the world. Now, you've probably heard this ad before if you're a listener of the show. So instead of going into a broad view of the company, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite products, and it'll give you a glimpse into 
the way we do things, why we source things, how we choose products, how we choose ingredients, etc. And so one of these products is actually a culmination of a few other products that we sell. For example, our wild cocoa powder is the base, right? We also sell our wild turmeric powder. This is also in here. And so it's our wild cocotropic superfood cocoa drink mix. Now this product, you can drop in coffee, smoothies, shakes, you can even bake with it. It's a cocoa powder based product that has raw maca powder, turmeric, and then it's got the medicinal mushrooms that are added in to get that nootropic boost. And, and of course, all of those uh, health benefits that you get from medicinal mushrooms. We have a chaga extract as well as a reishi mushroom extract. And so it's gonna have mostly a cocoa flavor, and so you're not really gonna taste the maca, the chaga, or the mushroom. So it's a really convenient way to get those mushrooms into your diet on a daily basis without having to down any bitter powders or take a bunch of caps or anything. This is one of my favorite ways to do this. Uh, it's one of our best sellers, people love it. Some people will put the Cocotropic right in a coffee and just blend it up. You can also, what I like to do, I add a little bit of grass-fed butter, some wild MCT oil, and then I add a tablespoon of Cocotropic and then I blend it up that way. And that just makes this delicious cocoa frothy mushroom beverage that, I mean, when you start waking up to that every morning, you just look forward to waking up for the day. It really is amazing. And so this is just one of the products that we offer that's based on whole food, raw food nutrition direct from nature, right? As close to nature as possible. We're taking premium, organic, in a lot of cases, ingredients, and we're putting them together to make this functional beverage for you that's just easy to take a scoop and add it in any way you see fit. Uh, it's just a really great product. And so this is something that we have in our pantry at all times. It's a really, really great starter and intro to something like uh, butter coffee fasting or or just having a little bit more functional nutrition in your smoothies or your shakes or your, or your post-workout or whatever. So go check that out over at wildfoods.co and check out some of our other premium products. You know, examples include our collagen, our plant protein, our MCT oil, our wild fish oil, which is one of our best sellers. And you can learn more about all these products on the website, wildfoods.co. And so when you're ready to make a buying decision and get your first wild box, use code AMPODCAST12 for 12% off your entire order.